This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Good to see you. Glad to have you with us here today. And uh, are you excited about what God wants to do today? Good, good, good. If you have your, your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 1. We are in a series called Joy Letter, and we're talking about this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi that is this letter that's just dripping with joy. And if you remember last week, we talked about how this letter was written from prison, and from this place of prison, Paul is writing this incredible letter full of love, full of joy, and this, this makes such an impact on us today. We can look at this and we can understand how to navigate life. If you are here last week, we talked about how we're living in this world where the number one emotion that a lot of people are experiencing is this emotion that's best defined by this word languishing. It's that meh feeling. It's that blah feeling. It's this feeling that we have that life isn't as it should be. It's kind of like we're, we're living, but we're just living kind of like because we haven't died yet. But that, that God offers us something better. God offers us flourishing. But flourishing isn't found because we pursue flourishing. Flourishing is found because we pursue Jesus and we're connected to him. And so we talked about last week how what we're wanting to do through this series is put Jesus at the center of it all. Look at our life. Look at our faith. Look at how we're relating to people, how we're relating to the world, how we, how we, how we look at the world, how we process every decision that we're making and asking ourselves the question, does this image Jesus? And if not, we're, we're tearing down anything that doesn't look like Jesus, and we're not just deconstructing it and walking away, we're reconstructing those areas of our life that don't look like Jesus so that they do look like Jesus, so that we image Jesus in this world. Because us imaging Jesus isn't just for our benefit, it's for the world around us, amen? amen. So if you missed last week, I want to encourage you, make sure you go back and listen to that message. Today I want to talk to you, I actually got two titles for you this morning, all right? Two titles for this message. So if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, get your Being Transformed journals out. If you got those, get ready to take some notes. You can follow along with me in the New Song app. Here's my first title for you. Hope in nothing less. Hope in nothing less. Write that down if you're taking notes. Or here's your other option. Your other option for a title for this one is Bound by Jesus. Hope in nothing less or Bound by Jesus. You know, in this world, there are circumstances that we experience sometimes that if we're being totally honest, they are less than ideal. Anybody relate to that? We face stuff in this world and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Uh, Jesus promised us that that's how life would be. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Like that's a promise of God. (laughs) It's not one of those promises you necessarily put on a magnet and stick on your fridge. In this world, you will have trouble, but it is a promise. It is something that God said would happen. You're going to face stuff in this world. And trouble and difficult circumstances can look like a lot, of, a lot of different stuff. It can come in the form of a loss of a job. It can come in the form of a betrayal by a friend. It can come in the, in the form of a, of a breakup, a divorce. It can come in the form of you just experiencing something that, that really like rocks you, the loss of somebody, not making the team, making the team, but not getting to play Maybe some of you students, you know, school just started for some of you and you find yourself looking at the first couple of days of school and going, oh my gosh, I hate this, right? <laughs> like I have a whole year of this. This is going to be awful. Circumstances can be difficult, right? And so what do we do when we're facing difficult circumstances? What do we do when we find ourselves in a situation that feels hopeless? How do we find hope 
in hopeless situations. Well, that's what Paul, we're going to look at today, this text of what Paul shares with us today. So if you find yourself there today, I, I want you to know there is hope. There's always hope because Jesus is available. So how, how you guys been doing this week? You've been, you've been reading Philippians? How many of you guys been reading Philippians 1 through 4 every day? If you've done that, let me, see, let me see your hand. If you haven't done that, I'm not here to shame you. I'm not here to shame you. If you missed a day, that's okay. Just pick up and keep trying, keep doing it. But what we're believing God for throughout this series is that as we stay in this book and study this and meditate on this word, that we're preparing our hearts to receive of the word of God. And so I know there's some hearts in here that have been, that have been tilled up, they're prepared, and we're about to send forth the word and it's going to do a great work. You believe that this morning? Say amen. amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, Lord, for those, especially those who are hopeless, those who find themselves in a place today where circumstances have come against them and they feel like there's no way out of this. Lord, we know that there's always hope because Jesus is always available. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are hopeless today, Lord, that you would, you would give them of the ministry of hope today. You would minister to them hope today. Minister to them in such a way that they would have the hope of God so that they can walk by faith and experience the joy of the Lord that will be strength to them. Lord, I pray for those who are not in a hopeless situation, but that will face one in the future. We know in this world we will have trouble, whether we're in it right now or we're facing it in the future, Lord, we know it will come. And so we pray, Lord, you give us wisdom. As we look at your word today, give us wisdom for how to walk with you. And if there's areas where we've built something and it's, it's not imaging you, we're seeing stuff the wrong way, we pray, Lord, that we'd be able to tear those down and rebuild them to look like you today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 26. I'm going to kind of unpack some of it as we go. And then we'll really unpack what I feel like God put on my heart for our church this week. Verse 12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, just a reminder, Paul's in prison. Theologians go back and forth as to whether Paul is actually in a prison cell or he's in uh, like a house arrest. They don't know for sure, but what we do know is he's incarcerated in some way. And what we do know is that he's in chains. He's chained to a Roman guard at 24 hours a day, all day, every day. He says this in verse 13, as a result, as a result of me being in prison, check this out, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone. Now, when Paul says this, uses this phrase here, the whole palace guard, He's speaking to this group of Roman elite soldiers called the Praetorian Guard. These were like these elite military soldiers in the Roman Guard who were very powerful, had a lot of influence. They even had uh, some political influence in, in the kingdom of Rome. And they're being reached by Paul. So get this. Paul is in chains. Paul is in prison. But a group of people who have not been reached by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ are being reached. Why? Because Paul is in chains. Because Paul is in prison. See, what's happening is the, these, these, these Praetorian guards are being brought in every few hours. They're chaining a new one to Paul. And Paul sees this not as, okay, you're chaining, you're chaining me to them. He sees it as you're chaining them to me. And, and I got a captive audience. And I got the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to share it. So he's sharing the gospel. And they're hearing this guy share the gospel. Every time he gets a new one, it's like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? And he's preaching. And they're also hearing him pray. And they're hearing him praise and they're hearing him dictate these letters and they're seeing him worship and it's making an impact. And this group of people who were once unreached are now being reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So even though Paul, it looks like he stopped, he ain't stopped. 
Even though he may be confined, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is confined. He says this, he says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden, and notice this, and to everyone. To everyone. Let me, let me show you how far that extends. At the end of Philippians 4.22, he says, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So, so check this out. Through what he's doing in prison, not only is this message going to this group of, of military elite, but now it's getting into the house of the most powerful man in the most powerful kingdom in all of the world. Paul is having an impact. The gospel is going forth and going forward. He says, I am in chains for Christ. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, he's talking about Christians, he's talking about believers, he's talking about those who are part of the church. He said, have, come, have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So check out the impact he's still having. He's impacting not only those who are lost, those who don't have the message of Jesus, but the church is seeing what, what's happening through the life of Paul and it's building confidence in them. And now they're going forward and they're bringing the message of Jesus to more and more people. Here, here, here's a question for you. You're in a tough circumstance. You're in a tough situation. What's the message that's coming out of your life? What's being born out of your circumstance right now? Is it complaining? Is it griping? Is it anger? Is it resentment? Is it just you're mad at God? Or are you actually allowing God to do a work in you and continue to do the work he wants to do in you, with you, and through you to reach the world around you? This is good preaching. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy, verse 15, and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that, notice this, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supporting that they, they can stir up trouble for while I am in chains. Now look at this verse 18, but what does it matter? Some of you need to highlight that. What does it matter? Write that in your notes. What does it matter? There's some freedom on the other side of you wrestling that question to the ground with the Lord this week. There's some, there's some stress-free, like sleepless nights that you're dealing with right now. You're dealing with some issues right now. If you could just wrestle that question to the ground, what, God, what does it really matter? What does really matter right now in the middle of my circumstance? What's important? What really matters? On the other side of that question for you is a lot of freedom and a lot of purpose. If you can really come to, to find the answer. So Paul says, you know what, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff going on around me. Some people are doing this for the right reason, some people for the wrong reason. What does it matter? He says this, verse 18, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is bring, being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul says at the end of the day, it's about purpose. If Christ is being preached through my life, then I can rejoice. Even if I'm in chains, even if I'm in prison, even if my circumstances aren't ideal, as long as God's gospel message is going forth through my life, I can still find a reason to rejoice. If you're in a tough circumstance right now, what's the message that's coming out of your life right now? What's the message that's being preached to your family? What's the message that's being heard by your spouse? What's the message by, that's being received by the community of, of people around you? Your school, your boss, the people around you. What's the message that they're hearing? What message is being preached through you? 
Verse 18, yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's saying there's a deliverance coming. I'm in chains, I'm I'm bound, but I'm coming out of this. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope. I eagerly expect and hope. If you have a physical Bible, I would underline that. I would circle that. I would put happy faces by that, stars by that. If you're one of those people that like illustrates in your Bible, it's time to illustrate by this verse right here. It's time to figure it out because listen, this verse should stand out to you. Paul's in prison. Paul's in chains. He's bound. And yet he says, I eagerly expect and hope. That should stand out to you. There's something going on in Paul. There's something that's, that's happening in his heart. There's something he knows that the world doesn't seem to know around us, right? Paul's got something going on here. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. I'm not going to be let down. I know I'm not going to be let down. God's not going to let me down. But we'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 22, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Notice this part. I love this part. Yet what shall I choose? Now, let me remind you, Paul's in prison. Paul's in chains. And he's talking about, I'm not sure what I'm going to choose here. Like, it's, it's kind of like Paul has this idea going on that, like, maybe, maybe my situation isn't really de- the deciding factor of my life. Maybe that Rome isn't actually in charge right now. That's, that's what we see in Paul here. What shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. You know, Paul's got some rewards waiting for him. Paul's got heaven on the other side of his death. And, and in there, there's some, there's some crowns. There's some, like, there's some good stuff. And that will be better. He'll, he'll escape from a lot of what he's dealing with. He knows that. But this is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. And I will continue with all of you. For, uh, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I hope you're catching this. Paul's saying, I'm going to be with you again. And when I'm with you again, it's going to be miraculous. And you're going to say, to God be the glory. I'm coming out of this. I may be in chains. I may be in prison, but I'm coming out of this. And when I come out of this, you're going to look at this and people are going to look at this. and They're going to say, only God could have done that. Only God could have done that. You may be in tough circumstances right now, but I want you to know, only God can do some stuff you need him to do in your life. He can bring you out of that. And and I love this passage, man. I love, I've I've enjoyed so much spending time in this. And there's so much I can unpack for you today, but I I really want to kind of hang on this this one idea I'm going to share with you here in a moment. But I want you to notice something. You notice the confidence in Paul? Like, do you kind of get that idea? Like, there's this underlying confidence that you see in him and how he's talking. Even in his tough circumstance, he still has this confidence in who God is and what God can do. And he's not like, we don't see Paul here like denying what's happening to him, pretending like it's not going on. In other words, his circumstance has a say in his life and he's, he's, he's okay with sharing the say that it has. He's just not giving it the final say. I'm gonna say that again because this side of the room didn't get it. His circumstance has a say in his life. He's just not giving it the final say. Okay, you guys kind of got it. I'll say it again over here because maybe these guys will get it this time. His circumstances have a say in his life. He's just not giving it the final say. Okay, we're doing a little bit better. A little bit better. 
Your circumstances may have a say in your life, but my question is, who's got the final say? What, what are you actually giving the final say? Who are you giving the final say to on your life and what's going on in your life? See, Paul's talking to this church of Philippi. And, and realize, these are real people dealing with a real person, someone that they look up to, who, who's in prison, who's in chains. And they're probably a, they're a little bit shaken by this. And yet, he, he's trying to point them to the greater work of God that's taking place in the middle of this. He's pointing them to, hey, I may be in chains, but God's not done. The gospel's going forth. What God has done in the past, he's going to do in the future, and he's going to continue to work in our life. So, so to take your eyes off the circumstance and put your eyes on God. Take your eyes off the, the power of the problem in your life and put, put your eyes on God and his power to bring you out of the problem. So here, here's the main idea I kind of want to unpack for you today. If you're taking notes, write this down. When you're in a bind, what are you bound to? When you're in a bind, what are you bound to? When you're, when you're facing circumstantial situations that are screaming a message of doom and gloom to you, does that message have the final say in your life? Or does God and the promises of God in the word? Who are you chained to? Are the chains of your circumstances stronger in your life than your chains to God? You say, wait a minute, Pastor Josh. Chains to God? Like I thought Jesus came to break the chains. I thought Jesus came to set the captives free. Yes, he did. Jesus came to set you free from every bondage that would try to steal away your freedom and you walking in the kingdom of God in this earth. He wants to set you free from bondages of sin and bondages of depression and, and things that would keep you in a prison of your past and a prison of thoughts. He wants to set you free from that. Jesus came to break some chains, but Jesus also came to make available some new chains. See, one of the keys, the major keys to breaking free from some of the wrong chains in your life that are in place in your life is having the right chains in place in your life. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. He says, I am in chains for Christ. There's this idea that Paul is presenting here that that he's bound to something greater than the circumstances of his life. In fact, it's interesting, as Paul starts this letter to this church in Philippi, as he's introducing himself to them once again, they know him, but he's introducing himself, he makes this statement in Philippians 1, verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And when he uses that word, man, Paul knew exactly what he was doing. He was making a strong statement to this church about who God is in his life and, and his call to the kingdom of God and what he's called to do. He says bondservant. It's, it's this Greek word doulos. It means one who is subservient, subservient to and entirely at the disposable of his master. Check it out. A slave. He says, I'm a slave. And when he said this and shared this with the people of the culture of his day, they would have understood that he was talking about a bondservant was someone who voluntarily and permanently chose to serve. They made a choice of this to serve a master for life as a slave. Now we hear slavery and, you know, growing up in America, living in America, we obviously, there's some hangups that we have related to slavery. Because there's been some atrocities that have taken place because of slavery in our country. And some are still taking place around the world and even in our country still. Slavery, in a lot of ways, is a negative thing. In the Bible culture, though, of this day, slavery was looked at a little bit differently. Slavery was almost like an occupation you could have. And in the Hebrew culture, it wasn't, slavery wasn't something that was used to bring about 
abused and to take advantage of people. It was actually uh, a way, it was almost like if you were in debt, you could sign up to be a slave for a season and you could pay off your debt. Or if you needed an occupation, you could sign up to be, become someone's slave and you could do that for a season as your work. Now here, here's the big difference is you weren't a slave for life unless you chose to be. If you were a slave in the Hebrew culture, you would be a slave for about six years. And then at the end of that sixth year, the seventh year, you would be set free. And when you were set free, the Bible made it clear that, that you were to set them free. The master was to set them free and it, they were to bless them as they went out. They were to send them out with blessings. They were to send them out well taken care of. The Bible uses the phrase, you were to furnish them liberally. In other words, you were to set them up so that they would move into the next phase of their life outside of you being their master with everything they would need to be able to flourish in the next phase. Now, what would happen a lot of times in the culture of the day, and you can see how this, was a, this slavery was looked at so differently, is a lot of times these slaves, at the end of the six years, they would sign up to stay on. They would look at their master and they would, they would grow to love their master. They would grow to love the family and love serving this family. They would love the family that they had developed within the household of the master. And so they would sign up and say, you know what, I choose to become a slave. And if they did so, this is what they would do. Exodus uh, 21 says this, verse 5. It says, if a servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be a servant, that's the word bond servant, for life. So if the, if the slave came to the master and said, I want to serve you for the rest of my life, I want to be a bond servant unto you. The master would take them before the judges. They would make it official. And then they would take them back home. This is where it gets kind of wild. They would put them up against the door, their ear against the door. They would take this, this awl, which was this metal uh, thing that you would use to poke holes in leather. They would put it up to their ear, and then they would drive that through their ear and into the wood of that door. And when they were done, it would leave a mark on that slave. And that mark said to everyone who would see that slave, that mark said, that's a bond servant. They love their master and they have committed their life to serving their master with everything for the rest of their life. Now, if you're hearing this and you're going, you know what, there's some, there's some stuff here that sounds kind of familiar. Metal being driven through flesh into wood. Scars that are signs of love that point to serving others. If that's ringing a bell with you, that's because this was foreshadowing what Jesus would do. Jesus would come and he would allow himself, he would willingly choose because he loved his father and he loved the family of God, the people of God. He would willingly choose to lay down his life on a cross, have metal driven through his hands into wood and have permanent scars that are signs of his love. He was, Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions. This is what Jesus came to do. And so Paul is saying, hey, I'm a bondservant. I willingly choose to serve my master. I willingly choose to lay down my life. I am purposely choosing to act like my master Jesus and to serve my master and the family of God forever. I will lay down my life and become a slave to the purposes of the family of God. No matter what, I choose to be a slave and from my slavery unto God will come freedom unto men. See, through Jesus' willingness to come under the slavery of sin, to serve his master well, freedom was made available to all. Paul says, I'm about that same kind of thing.
And we see this idea repeated over and over again, bondservant, bondservant. It's all over the New Testament. Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, Jude all describe themselves as bondservants. So Paul, get this, Paul is bound to Jesus and the cause of Christ, and he has chosen to make that bond stronger than any other circumstantial bond that would try to attach itself to him. That's why Paul says in verse 22, he says, what shall I choose? And then verse 25, he says, I will remain. He's choosing to remain. He's choosing to serve the cause of Christ. Now listen, he's not choosing the bad circumstances. Like that's not the idea here. He's choosing to put God on the throne and worship God and surrender to God in spite of his circumstances. But he's not, no one chooses the bad circumstances. Listen, I'm not saying to you today that if you find yourself in a bad circumstance, you find yourself in a health crisis, you find yourself in a painful place that you just throw up the flag and say, well, I guess whatever will be, will be. I'll just take this. This must be what God has for me. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm also saying you don't always get to choose your circumstances. Sometimes circumstances are going to come against you. In this world, you will have trouble. It's going to happen. Jesus said it's going to happen. What are you going to choose when trouble comes against you? Who are you going to choose when trouble comes against you? We don't, we don't choose trouble. And listen, just so you know, just because you're facing trouble doesn't mean it's choices that you made, right? Like sometimes we face circumstances and those circumstances aren't reflecting on the bad things that we've done. Sometimes they are, but sometimes you can be doing everything right and you're still going to face ter- tough circumstances. Look at Paul. So, so what do you do when, when you're in those tough circumstances? What are you choosing? Who are you choosing to attach yourself to, to chain yourself to? When you're in a bind, what are you bound to? Are the chains of your circumstances stronger than your chains to God? In your circumstances, is God still on the throne? Are you chained by, in faith with hope to Jesus and the promises of God in the Bible? Or are you chained to fear? What, what are you chained to? Here's something worth writing down if you're taking notes. The chains of your circumstances can either blind you to God and what God is doing, or through faith, you can bind yourself to God, his word and his promises. And despite circumstances, you can have hope, joy, and peace. Leave that up there, guys, so they have time to write that down because they need to write that down. That's something you need to remember. Paul is holding on to Jesus. Paul is holding on to hope in God and what God can do. He's believing that God can deliver him. He says in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope. Understand, this is not like Paul's first rodeo here. This is not the first time he's facing something difficult. Paul, at the time of writing this letter to the church of Philippi, he's about 50 years old. So he's, he's older. He's not old, but he's older. He's not old because I'm 43 now and 50 is not old. Let me just tell you. I was actually, I was actually reading this week about old. And I, I was wondering, like, what is old? Like, how do we, what do we determine as being old? And they said that, that old is kind of a moving target. That old is always for, for us in our life. It's always about 15 to 20 years out of wherever we find ourselves at the time. Which is why I remember being 20 years old and there was one of my friends, his dad was turning 40. And I remember being like, dude, that guy's old. And now I'm 43. And I'm like, that ain't old. I'm prime. Like, this is prime. <laughs> 40's not old, 60's old. Some of you 60-year-olds are giving me some dirty looks right now. Calm down, old people. (laughs) 
I was asking my dad this week, my dad's 71. And I was like, dad, what do you think old is? And he's like, old is 90. <laughs> moving target, moving target. But here's my point. Paul, Paul is older and he's been through some stuff. It's been years since God knocked him off the horse and and blinded him so that he could really start to see. And Paul has been through a lot over the years. Let me, let me read you something. Second Corinthians 11, Paul talking about some of the stuff he's experienced. This is nuts. I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews. I don't know why I'm laughing. This is terrible. In, in danger of Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. This is not Paul's first rodeo. He's been through some stuff. He's faced some stuff. He's got some scars, but he's also got some skins on the wall. He's seen God show up. He's seen God see him through. In fact, in Acts chapter 16, it's, it's Acts chapter 16 is in Philippi, this, this, this church that Paul had planted in, in Acts 16, it's talking about him going to plant this church. And so he shows up and he's kind of starting, you know, the process of meeting people and building his, you know, his launch team for the church. And in the process of that, he ticks some people off and he gets thrown into prison. But he's not just thrown into prison. It says that they strip him naked. So he's naked in prison, but he's not just naked in prison. They beat him with rods. But he's not just beaten with rods naked in prison. He, he's also in the inner prison, which is like the sewage system of the prison. And he's in stocks. So guys, this is a tough circumstance. He's facing some stuff. Like he's in the sewage system of a, of a prison in Bible times. It probably smells terrible. There's probably raw sewage around him. He's beaten with rods. How they would do this is they would take these bamboo rods and they would strike over and over again, these guys in the exact same spots. And the, the purpose was to build these whelps on them that would then later burst. So it was excruciating pain. And then he's in these stocks. These stocks were designed to keep them constantly in a state of pain and discomfort and cramping. Paul's in the middle of that. Not a good circumstance at all. And, and realize he's just doing what he's supposed to be doing. He didn't do anything wrong. He's, he's, he's sharing the gospel message. He's fulfilling the assignment that Jesus gave to him. And yet he's in a tough circumstance. And yet we see something in the life of Paul. He's not fixated on the chains that are binding him physically. He's more fixated in looking unto the one in whom his hope is chained. And so we see something in verse 25. It says this, around midnight, that's the darkest hour of the night, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're worshiping Jesus. Their hearts are chained to, to Jesus. And the other prisoners were listening. Now remember, they're in the inner dungeon of the prison. They're in the, they're in the place that you put people when you never want to see them again. And yet the other prisoners can hear them praising. That means they weren't just sitting in there in pain going... Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. They were getting it, like getting it, worshiping, getting it, right? They're getting it. And it says this, verse 26, suddenly, somebody say suddenly, suddenly. say it like you mean it, suddenly. suddenly, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors, check this out, all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. This is a supernatural earthquake. It's one thing to have an earthquake. It's another thing to have an earthquake where all the chains fall off the prisoners and all the prison doors open up. Like God, 
God is doing something here. God, as they are worshiping God, is doing something. Why? Because the chains that held them were the chains to God, not the chains that bound them physically. It was their chain to God. And so, so get this. So, so when they begin to praise, they didn't allow the chains to break their praise. They praised and their praise broke their chains. Listen, some of you need to hear this right now. You're in, a, you're in a tough circumstance right now, and you're just saying, okay, as soon as God breaks through, then I'm going to lift my hands. Then I'm going to worship. Then I'm going to sing. God's saying, hey, why don't you lift your hands? Why don't you start singing now? And why don't you let me knock those chains off you as you worship and praise in faith right now? Somebody say, come on, let's go. Good enthusiasm. Paul's seen God move. He's seen God do some impossible things. This is not his first rodeo. He's experienced God. And so he has a different perspective than everybody else. He can see the presence of God in his present circumstances. And because of that, he can see the present of the circumstance, even when it's painful. He can see the opportunity in the middle of the trial. And so God can use him in the middle of whatever he's facing. Because Paul has a present hope in Jesus, he can see the present opportunity even in prison. Mark Batterson says this. He says, the circumstances we ask God to change are often the circumstances God is using to change us. Sometimes we're in the middle of a circumstance and we're just going, God, can you just get me out of this? You just delivered me through this. And what God is saying, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm going to, but I want to do some work in you. I want to do some work on you. And I, do, I want to do some work through you. And if you'll take your eyes off of just yourself and your problem and put your eyes on me and begin to praise me and begin to worship me and begin to allow me to do the work and teach you the lesson I'm trying to teach you, I can bring you out of this. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things happen to us that... Was, I read that wrong. And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if. Somebody say if. if. Notice it's not automatic. If we love God and are fitting into his plans. Listen, God can make the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever you're, whatever you're dealing with. He can make it work out for your good. But it's not automatic. It's not just because you made Jesus Lord of your life. It's not just because you, you attend church pretty regularly. It's if. It's if, it's if, if we love God and are fitting into his plan. Are you looking for God's plan in the middle of your pain? Or are you just looking at yourself? Are you just looking at your problem? Are you just looking at your circumstance? Like I get it, you may not have chosen your circumstance right now. Like maybe you're dealing with a health battle. And you didn't choose that. Nobody chooses to be sick. Nobody chooses disease and sickness. We don't choose this. But what are you going to choose now that you're in it? We don't, we don't choose to have a kid that goes off the rails and starts living a life where we're going, this is nothing like what I taught them. This is nothing like what I've been trying to train them up in. You didn't choose that, but what are you going to choose now that you're in it? You didn't choose financial, well, maybe you did choose some financial problems, but, but what are you going to choose now that you're in it? Are you going to choose to trust God and allow him to be the king of your heart? Maybe you didn't choose your circumstantial chains, but you can choose what you chain yourself to in your circumstance. Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope. He's chained to his hope in God. And here's what you need to understand. Hope is huge. Hope is huge. Look at the person beside you and say, hope is huge. It's huge. And it needs to be present in your life. If you don't have hope, you can't have faith. And if you don't have faith, God can't work with you. It's not that he doesn't want to, it's that he can't. Faith is what he works with. You've got to have faith. And in order to have faith, you need to have hope. Now listen, when I talk about hope, I'm not, I'm not asking you to stir up something in your, in your own ability. 
I'm not asking you to muscle your way into this, this place of hope. That's not what this is about. See, biblical hope doesn't depend on our circumstances. And it's not you trying to muscle your way into the right circumstances. True hope is anchored to the faithful, unchanging character of God and His promises. So, so understand this. Hope is not something you do. Hope is something you receive. Second Thessalonians says this. Through His grace. What is grace? It's a free gift. It's something we don't deserve, but it's offered anyways. Through His grace, He gave. Notice it's a gift. He gave us a good hope and comfort that continues when everything's going great. Is that what it says? Somebody should have just right then gone, hey, that's not what it says, because that's not what it says. It says a good hope and comfort that continues forever. Even when things are bad, we can have good hope that continues in our life. And it's a gift that God wants to give to you. Like grace, it's a free gift. How do you receive it? You grab on to Jesus. You abide in Jesus. You stay connected to Jesus. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for he who promised is faithful. Understand, your hope is not in just your circumstance turning around. Your hope is not just getting out of the problem. Your hope is Jesus in the middle of it. Your hope is Jesus no matter what. We hold tightly to Jesus. We hold tightly to His character, to His nature, to His word, to His promises. We hold on to Him in spite of what we may be feeling. The object of our hope is Jesus. In a world where people are being tossed to and fro by circumstances and by emotions and by issues, you can have a firm foundation you can build your life on. You have an anchor for your soul. That's what Hebrews 6.19. This certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. What's your soul? It's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotions. This place where so much of your life is taking place out of your soul, right? And he wants to give you an anchor. What does an anchor do? It holds you in place. If you're on a boat and you put the anchor down and you drop that anchor and that anchor is secured on something, even though storms may come, even though winds may blow, even though waves may crash, that boat stays right where it is, right? It's not tossed to and fro because it has a strong anchor in which it's connected to. What is the anchor that holds your soul in place? If you're being tossed to and fro, it's probably because you've got your anchor attached to the wrong stuff, the wrong thing. It goes on to say this, it leads us through. Notice hope can lead. You don't have to be led by your emotions. You don't have to be led by fear. You don't have to be led by the issues of this life. Hope can lead you. Look where it leads you. It leads you through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. What's that? It's the presence of God. God wants you to have an anchor that's attached to him that holds you in place, that can connect you to the presence of God no matter where you find yourself. We have a hope. We have an anchor, and that anchor is Jesus. Are the chains of your circumstances stronger in your life than your chains to God? It's interesting, too. You know, an anchor in Bible times was attached to the boat. You know what it was attached through? Chains. So, so what have you connected your anchor to, and what are you holding on to? We gotta hold on to the Lord. We gotta abide in Him. We gotta connect with Him. And it's through that that we actually find a hope that can keep us steady in life, that can keep us in place as the storms come crashing in. God wants you to be bound to Him. And when you're bound to Jesus, you find real freedom. Bondage, a lot of times, we look at bondage in this world as, as stuff that steals our freedom. But there's, a, there's being bound to God that leads to freedom, that delivers us into freedom. In like fact, the Bible says this, Zechariah 9, 12, it says, return to the stronghold 
of security and prosperity, you prisoners of hope. This is an interesting idea. Prisoner, a prisoner, be, being a prisoner of hope. Let me break this down for you. Stronghold means a place that has been fortified so as to protect it against attacks. Prisoner means kept in, restraint, captive, dominated by. So, so this is how I broke this down this week. Here's how I broke it down. Hope in Jesus is a stronghold, a fortified place designed by God to protect your security and prosperity. It's a place where your heart is so secure in Jesus that your mind is restrained from the issues of this world and dominated by hope. Doesn't that sound good? That's possible. That's possible. If you're bound to the Lord, if you're chained to Jesus, if your hope is in Him, this is what's possible for you. No matter what life may dish out, no matter how difficult things may look, if you're bound to God, chained to Jesus, you can have hope. Why? Because Jesus is hope. Jesus doesn't just offer hope. Jesus is hope. He is hope. So here's what God highlighted to me in Paul. Here's what I think I see in the life of Paul, something we can take home. Because the, the strongest chains in Paul's life were attached to Jesus and not his circumstances, Paul's joy was untouchable. We see him talking about rejoicing and having joy, even in prison. Paul writes this, this letter, this Philippians letter, this, this letter he writes to this church in Philippi is covered in joy. Why? Because his joy is secure. His joy is built on the right thing. Because Paul's chains in his life were attached to Jesus more than they were his circumstances, Paul's assignment was unstoppable. Even when he's in prison, even when he's in chains, the chains, the gospel message of Jesus is still going forth. And Paul's hope was unshakable. When you're in a bind, what are you bound to? Who are you bound to? Are you bound to Jesus and hope? Or are you bound to the circumstances in this world? And if you find yourself in that place today where you, you feel like you're bound by fear, you're bound by the issues of this world, it's probably because you chose to chain yourself to something less than God. And we do this a lot. We do this a lot. And when we do it, here's the problem. Anytime you, you put your hope, you chain your hope to something less than God, you're always going to be disappointed. It's always going to let you down. Even when you get that thing that you hoped for, you're going to be disappointed. So if I chain my hope to them, whoever them may be, whether it's a, it's a boss, it's a spouse, it's a, it's a famous person, it's a coach, it's a political figure. If I chain my hope to them, I'm always going to be let down because them is less than God. If I chain my hope to that, if I just can get that promotion, if I can just get that raise, if I just have that much money in my account, if I can just get that person to notice me, if I can just get that, whatever that thing may be, even when you get it, you're always going to be let down because that is less than God. If I put my hope in me, I'm always going to be let down because guess what? I am less than God and so are you. In your circumstances, what are you attaching yourself to? Are you chained in hope to Jesus or to something else? As I, as I thought about this, this message this week, I couldn't help but that, that song just kept repeating in my, in my heart all week. On Christ the solid rock I stand. You guys have those lyrics. Can you throw that up there for me? It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood 
and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. In other words, that stuff may be framed really well. It may look really good. It may be presented really good. But if I put my trust in that, I'm always going to be let down. But holy, lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, when things try to get in between me and God, I'll rest on his unchanging grace. God isn't changing. He's not, he's not mad at me. He's not walking away from me because I messed up. That's not who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In every high and stormy gale, when the storms of life, when the circumstances of life come against me, my anchor holds within the veil. I can connect to one who's stable, who can stabilize me. I can connect to the presence of God and from that place have stability, have a soul that's at rest in Jesus Christ. In every, uh, his oath, his covenant, his blood. In other words, the, all that's available to me through the cross, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground. Anything else we try to put our hope in, it's less. And it's always going to let you down. I want you to stand with me, church. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. If you find yourself here today and you you need prayer. And I really feel like this week as I've been thinking about this message and praying over this message and praying over you is that God wants to minister the ministry of hope to you today. God wants to deliver some hope to you. Maybe you feel hopeless today. If you feel hopeless today, if you find yourself in a, in a circumstance and you feel like you're under that circumstance, get out from being under that circumstance. Who told you you get under that circumstance? Get under the veil of God. Come under Him. Attach your anchor to Him. I believe that, that that moment of coming down in prayer is a moment for you to be able to say, I'm attaching my anchor to the Lord. I'm holding on to Him. And I believe God's going to minister some hope to some people today. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I, I, I just have no hope. Maybe today it's because you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You never made the decision to follow Him. And not just to pray a prayer, not just to lift your hand in a service and say, okay, I want some life insurance, you know. I want to make sure I'm not going to the bad place, but the good place. Really, that's not what this is about. This is, Jesus said, to go make disciples. Disciple is someone who's following after him, who's, who's living a life for him. Some of you, you need to get saved. You've never made that decision to follow after Jesus, like for legit do it. And it's time to get your hope in the right thing. Maybe for some of you, you need to, you need to confess and detach from some stuff. Maybe, I, I, feel, I feel this strong today. Some of you have put your hope in political figures and some of this stuff, and you need to make a confession before God and before man today that I put my hope in the wrong stuff and I repent. And as long as you do, you're going to struggle with hope. You're going to be tossed to and fro. Our hope is built on nothing less. Some of you built it on something less, and you need to confess and make a new commitment unto the Lord. Some of you, maybe you're encouraged today, I want to, I want to be that bondservant. I want to make a new commitment today that, man, I am all in for the cause of Christ. I am about the work of God. I am a slave unto the kingdom of God and the purposes of God. And I am recommitting today. I'm, I'm asking you today, what's God saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's stirring in you? Some of you need to respond in prayer. and Some of you need to respond in worship. It's a re-up day today, right? I hope you have re-up days all the time. I re-up every day. Lord, I'm, I'm in. Another day, I'm re-upping. 
It's about you, Lord. My life's about you. Some of you need to re-up today. We're gonna sing this song. And I, and I wanna encourage you to just, to just worship God and make a new commitment unto the Lord right now. Maybe it's a first time commitment to the Lord. I, I'm just encouraging you. Let's, let's dig in right now. Let's let God do the work he wants to do. Some of you, I wanna encourage you. If God's stirring something in you, come down and receive prayer. Lord, I lift up every person in this room today. Lord, I pray right now that you would even now begin to minister hope. I know that, that without hope, we can't walk by faith. And I know there's some in this room that need to respond in faith to receive prayer. So Lord, I pray that you would give them a hope right now that on the other side of their walking in faith to receive prayer is, is a new life, new vision, new direction. God, stir up hope in us, stir up faith in us to do what you wanna do. And Lord, we commit, we're, we're, we're re-upping today. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful for what you've done. We're grateful that you were willing to become a slave unto sin and a slave unto death so that we could be free. And we commit to follow you, to be your bondservants, to live for you, Lord. I pray if there's anyone in this room under the sound of my voice who needs prayer for anything, that you would stir in them the boldness and the faith and the hope to step out and receive all you have for them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.